the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tobacco Master. The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Welcome back to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Fear, Faith, and Fire, the Covenant Crucible. We appreciate you listening each and every day here on this program. We really couldn't do it without you. Feel free to call us with any questions that you have. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371-877-788-5371. Feel free to call that telephone number at any time. Let's get underway with the second half of Fear, Faith, and Fire, the Covenant Crucible. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Here's Pastor Mike. The Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to put confidence in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to put confidence in princes. Intervention number two, God assured Abram that he has a present reward for his faithfulness. Now, you know, we sing the song, you know, I'm satisfied with, you know, it talks about the reward that's over yonder. Well, dear heart, I'm not satisfied with the reward that's over yonder. I want something now. What about you? Wouldn't you like to have reward right now for following God? Not just delayed pie in the sky, but a reward right now. Notice what God says. In Genesis 15, 1, the Revised Standard Version reads, Your reward will be very great. In this intervention number two, God assured Abram that he has a present reward for his faithfulness. The Hebrew has no future verb here. The Hebrew simply says, your reward, exceedingly great. It can be translated, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward as well. But there's no future verb there. It's inserted by a well-meaning translator who's trying to make sense out of the context. God isn't saying, I'll give you a reward in the future. He's saying, right now, Abram, your reward is great. In the Hebrew, the focus is not on the future, but the present. In the fit of his fear, in the pit of his problem, God announces to Abram that he has a very great reward. Now, no doubt, Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, dug deep in the Old Testament to pull this concept out. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad... For your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. The eye of the wicked cannot see what the righteous have. The eye of the faithless cannot perceive the rewards that exist right now in the life of the person who has God as a shield, who walks by faith and calls on the name of the Lord. If you are a Christian and you are beset with problems because you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, Dear heart, then you are not poor anymore and you don't need to tell yourself you're poor anymore. If you have Jesus Christ, you are rich. That's a fact. Now, my son Donald reminds me from time to time that he's rich. Now, I'll tell you how he got rich. He knows where my pockets are. I'll be standing. 
He'll walk up behind me and just kind of slip his hand in my pocket and take a dollar or two out. I know he's taking it out. Or I'll put my change on the nightstand, and he knows where it's at. He'll come and take a quarter or two. He lets me know he took Daddy's quarter. He says, Dad, I like being your son. Thank you for the quarters. In my car, I have to every week go to the metro, and I have to have money for the parking there, and I put it in a certain place. He knows where it's at. I never have the money. It's always gone. See, my son knows that he's rich because he has a father who wants him to have change, spare change. And I don't complain about this. Dear heart, you are rich because when you, as a child of God, reach into the pockets of Jesus, there is no end to the riches of Jesus Christ. It may not come to you as a fat paycheck, but it comes to you as peace, as joy, as purpose, as meaning in your life. It comes to you as that divine intervention when you are about to fail for some reason that you cannot understand the riches of God have reached you and saved you from perplexity. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Intervention number three, God assures Abram with a promise that he will have a future and a legacy. There's no doubt about it. We are by nature afraid of the future. What do you do when you've worked all your life You've tried to squirrel away money in that IRA, but you know, you've had to pull it out for the demands of existence. And you don't know what your future is. You wonder if your children will respect the effort that has gone into raising them. And all this goes through your mind. In intervention number three, God assures Abram with a promise that he will have a future and a legacy. Abram's legacy will be a family of faith which shines like the stars forever. In verse 4, Genesis 15, he says, Abram, you will have your own son as an heir. Then in verse 5, he says, your children will be like the stars. Now, why the stars? Couldn't he have chosen some other metaphor? Daniel 12, 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the stars. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, the star is a symbol of someone who shines with the light of God. Abram's faith has a legacy. Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Abram is in his 80s and his wife is old. He is old. They're too old to have children. God's promise comes to Abram when the promise is hard to keep. From a human perspective, God can't do this. Man can't do this. This is impossible. So what do you do when God promises you a future you can't visualize? When He promises you an outcome that defies reason? What do you do when God makes a promise that seems impossible for God to keep in your life? Abram's response is found in verse 6. Bold verse. The first time we have a statement in the Bible that says a man believed. And he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You see, faith is not the virus, as Dr. Dawkins said. Faith is the cure. Faith is the cure. How does God accept a fearful man who stumbles from east to west looking for a promised land? How does God treat a man who slips off the track from time to time as he feebly holds on to the hand of God? How does God relate to a man who gets sidetracked in life and goes off to Egypt, tells a little lie there, jeopardizes his wife, and then returns, but he almost gets killed in the mix? How does God relate to an old man overcome with fear, afraid of his tomorrow, hemmed in by circumstances? 
The first man in the Bible who believes the word of the Lord is reckoned righteous. That's how he does it. The epigenetic principle is operative here. Everyone who believes the Lord after Abram is accounted righteous just like Abram. Because what happens in Abram's life is prophetic of what can happen in your life. If you believe the Lord when things are tough, if you hang on to the hand of God when you don't know where you're going, and God becomes for you a shield, God will look at you in your weakness and He will declare you righteous in His eyes. Every man who believes the Lord, righteous just like Abram. Now the word reckoned in verse 6 is a legal term. Some people say, well, why do we have to have legal terms in salvation? Because guilt is a legal concept. You must have a legal solution for a legal problem. Guilt is a legal concept. The ultimate fear for every soul is the fear of standing in the judgment, naked and without a righteousness that will survive the scrutiny of the judgment. If you have Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, You are not guilty because of that faith, through that faith. If you have Jesus, you are justified by faith. If you have Jesus, you have a faith that will survive the judgment because His faith is perfect even if yours is flawed. And the mustard seed of your faith will lay hold of the mountain of His faithfulness. And in the judgment, God says, not guilty for you. And Jesus, God treats you as if you had never sinned. And if you believe, you are declared righteous for His name's sake. Not guilty before God in the universe. Not guilty before the devil's accusations. Not guilty in the jury of your own mind when you put yourself down before God and others. Not guilty for His name's sake. Dear heart, we must never read quickly over a verse like verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When you fall on your knees tonight... And you believe the Lord and you call on His name for salvation, forgiveness, and healing. God reckons it to you as righteousness. Romans 4.20 No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. That is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. But the words that was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, But for ours also, it will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was put to death for our trespasses. The Greek says parodidomi, handed over and raised for our justification. Romans 1, a person who suffers the wrath of God experiences this kind of judgment. He is handed over, same Greek word. Christ experienced what is the wrath of God. He was handed over to the judgment of guilt and sin. What we find here that Christ was handed over so you would not have to be handed over so you could be not guilty before a righteous God in the law court of the judgment. Now verse 1 of Romans 5 is the key verse. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, and the Greek could probably be better translated, therefore since we are justified out of the faith. Galatians 3 indicates the faith that justifies is the faith of Jesus. Our faith is merely a tool, a simple vehicle that lays hold of a perfect, flawless faith that matches a perfect, obedient life. His faith is the standard in the judgment, and God will take His perfect faith, looking at your attempts at faith, and He will declare you righteous on the basis of His unflawed faith. Therefore, since we are justified out of the faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the key. So what is the present reward for the believer who has faith? Dear heart, when you believe, you have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe, you don't have to prove anything to God anymore to be accepted by God. When you believe, God is with you. Abram believed. Case closed. Not guilty before God anymore. Now if that's the case, what business do we have going through someone's dirty laundry trying to make them feel guilty in the church of the world. Do we have any business doing that? We have none. If we are agents of reconciliation, we'll be seeking the good and a broken spirit and a downcast heart to put Christ in their experience by faith. We will not be doing the other. This is the first time in the Bible God speaks the divine name to Abram directly. Up to this point, Genesis 12, 8. Remember Abram came to Bethel? He called on the name of the Lord. Then he went to Egypt, messed up, came back to Bethel. Genesis 13, 4, he called on the name of the Lord. But when Abram believes the Lord in Genesis 15, 6, God speaks directly to him in Genesis 15, 7. And he says for the first time, I am the Lord. Look at the verse. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. If you have called on the name of the Lord and you have not believed in the Lord, then that is why you have not heard the Lord say, I am the Lord. It's not enough to just call on His name. Believe in His name. Exercise faith in the truth behind His name. And then the voice of God breaks through and He says, I am the Lord. Faith is the key that opens the ear of doubt so you can hear God say, I am the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you cannot draw near to God. You cannot be rewarded by God. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Plainly stated, we find Abram doing what the conditions are here for reward. So when Abram believes that God will reward him and he believes that God will do the impossible, God speaks his name to Abram directly, and Abram has the assurance of God's presence. Now think about this. Abram had been building altars for a long time. He'd been calling on the name for a long time, called on the name of the Lord, but now he believes in the name of the Lord, and he doesn't have to build an altar to get God to speak to him. God speaks to him directly. So what kind of faith did Abram have that made him righteous? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe I can't have Abram's kind of faith. Maybe it's too difficult. Look at verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, Genesis 15, 8, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now, does that sound like good faith to you, yes or no? Does it? It sounds like weak need faith a little bit, doesn't it? Based on verse 8, Abram's faith had three identifiable dimensions. Dimension number one, Abram's faith was personal and relational. He said, oh, Lord God. He called God by name, which means his faith was not some concept thing, not some magical trick. It was a relational outcry to a God who was his friend. Dimension number two, Abram's faith recognized God's sovereignty and authority. The Hebrew literally says, Lord Yahweh, Adonai Yahweh, or more directly, Master Yahweh. Abram recognizes God as his master, Lord, and King. I mean, he's not here coming to God as an equal, as a buddy-buddy kind of thing. He's coming to God as a friend who is his greater, who is his master. He calls on him as Lord and sovereign. 
Because he needs his sovereignty in his life. And because he is close and personal, but also sovereign, he has the truth. He submits to the Lord as his master. Faith submits to the will of God. Dimension number three, Abram's faith was immature and undeveloped. Now, what do you mean by this, Pastor Mike? I thought he was the father of everyone who would have faith. Well, he is. But in the context, his faith is immature and undeveloped. Now, how do we know this? We know it because he asked the question, how shall I know that I shall possess it? He asks for a sign. If you have faith in God, is it okay to ask for signs and to ask questions in your life and to probe when you don't know what's going on? Maybe even to challenge God as you cry out in faith, why me, O Lord? Or should you just not do any of that as a believer? We know from the book of Job that it's okay to ask questions as you grow by faith. Job ends his experience and his struggle with verse 4 of chapter 42. He says, Hear and I will speak, Lord. I will question you and you declare to me. The faith that justifies the sinner is personal faith. It is true. It is faith that submits to God's authority and obedience. It is true. But dear heart, you must not forget that it is also immature faith. The Christian never starts his or her journey with mature, grown-up faith. The Christian starts the journey with immature faith that is full of questions, that needs guidance, that seeks answers. And that's the faith God recognizes as righteousness in the journey. If you have that kind of faith, mustard seed faith, God declares you righteous before the judgment bar of God. Genesis 15, 9, God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old. A she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in two, and he laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I think it symbolizes evil spirits trying to come at God's people in the future, driven away by faith. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. Jonathan Santos, who died in the first Gulf War, wrote this. He said, Never fear shadows. That always means there is a light shining somewhere. And so we find the sun going down, and as the great darkness falls upon him, a great dread falls upon him. But we know we should never fear shadows because it means a light is somewhere in the background. God never reveals himself as light, dear heart, unless it is preceded by darkness. God is the light that is the answer to the darkness. God is the glow that meets the gloom. God is the fire that is there for the cold. And so we find the darkness settles on Abram and all its fear and what it means. And then God speaks and he says, Abram, your descendants will go through a journey very similar to yours. They'll be sojourners. Then they'll be persecuted in a land that is not theirs, the land of Egypt, for 400 years. And in the fourth generation, Abram, I'm going to bring them out just like I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. God promised Abram he would not leave his children alone. The vision started with darkness and fear. Fear, but it ends with fire and light in the covenant crucible found by faith. Genesis 15, 12, the sun was going down, a deep fear. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So we find the sun going down, followed by a great darkness, and then a light pierces the darkness with a holy glow. So what is this flaming torch or fire pot spoken of in verse 17? 
Hebrews 12, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. It's borrowed from Deuteronomy 4, 24, For the Lord your God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. I'd like to propose to you that the light that met Abram and the darkness of the night of the soul was the light of God's glow, the light of God's warmth, the light of God's presence. Genesis 15, 18 holds the key of the question. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites. Now I'd like you to do with me in verses 19, 20, and 21. I want you to count those with me. The land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, the Kadamites. Now how many is that? Kadmonites? That's three. The Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now how many did you count? Ten of them. Now notice what it says there in verse 18. God made a covenant with Abram. And then he makes ten promises. I'm going to deal with this nation, this nation, this nation, all the way down to number ten. Where did God make a covenant and he gave us ten promises? Isn't it Mount Sinai when he gave us the Ten Commandments? And so we have a foretaste of the covenant promises of God at Mount Sinai. That God's promises of love, those Ten Commandments, will in fact be ten promises that he will deal with the enemies that afflict your soul on the inside. Just like he dealt with the enemies that afflicted Abram and his children on the outside. In the covenant given to Abram, God promises ten Ten victories over nations that have threatened him in his life. Verse 18, God passes between the parts of the animals. He is the smoking fire. And when he makes the covenant with Abram, he is there between the parts. Now, what does this mean? Take your Bibles, turn very quickly, Jeremiah 34, 18. Here is the basis of what's going on. The Bible says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant which they made before me, I will make like the calf, which they cut in two and passed between its parts. You see, in ancient times, when they wanted to have a contract or a covenant, they wouldn't sign or give some sum of money as a guarantee. They would simply cut an ox in two. And you were forced to walk between the ox as if to say, if I don't keep my end of the deal, cut me in two like this ox. I'll tell you, dear heart, it works a lot better than signing on the dotted line. People were motivated to keep the covenant. Notice in the context who is passing between the parts of the calf. It's not Abram, is it? It's God. God moves as a smoking fire pot back and forth between the parts. What he is saying is this, I pledge upon my very life that I will be with you, that I will fulfill my word in you, and if it does not happen, may I be cut in two. Dear heart, you can't get better than that from God. God pledges with his life. The fact is, we broke our bargain. We made a bargain with God we should have never made. We said like Israel did, all that the Lord has said we will do. We chose in our arrogance to pass between the parts of the calf. And we deserve the condemnation of the law. Paradoxically, God did not deserve to die. He did not deserve to be cut in two, but he came for you and me. And on that cross, we see a cross planted between time and eternity between east and west, and we find Jesus between the two parts of the calf because of us. Last week, little Emily Holland was sleeping in bed when the darkness surrendered to a fiery light inside her room. A powerful bolt of lightning blew a hole in the roof of the house as it punched a second hole in the ceiling of her room. Bam! Poof! And the drywall was out. The lightning came close to killing her. It pierced the ceiling, struck the bed where Emily was sleeping. 
It hit the bed like a fireball falling from heaven with a devilish desire to gobble her up in the flame. It felt like a tremendous storm had ripped through the house. It left a four-inch burn mark on Emily's mattress and the bed sheet. It went through the mattress cover and singed the stomach area on her pajamas and the arm of her pajamas. That's how close the lightning got to her. But it didn't come any closer. It stopped right there. It did not kill her. Dear heart, in the darkness of your night, God comes to you as the light. In the dark night of the soul, He comes to you as the warm glow of love. He is the ferocious fire that you may be afraid of, but nonetheless, the ferocious fire that will not touch you to kill you, but only to warm you and send the message of His love. In the dark night of the soul, fear, faith, and fire meet in the covenant crucible, and God is the light, the light of the world. When you believe the promises of God, you overcome the dark night of the soul. And the fire never hurts the heart that follows God from darkness to light. The Bible says, Abram believed the Lord. He reckoned it to him as righteousness. Dear heart, trembling for faith, holding on to the hand of God, frozen with fear, in the darkness of your night, trust the Lord in the night and feel the fire that quickens the soul. Well, that will conclude part number 20 of the Genesis series entitled Fear, Faith, and Fire, the Covenant Crucible. Remember, you can listen to this message online at any time in on-demand audio format or download an MP3 to your personal library from reachingyourheart.com. You'll find it under the broadcast schedule there on the main page. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371, 877-788-5371. Feel free to call that telephone number at any time with any questions that you have. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. Thank you for your contribution. The address here is Reaching Hearts International, 15300 Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. That's Reaching Hearts International, 15300 Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. Thanks for listening, and as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.